when they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. On this feast of Christ the King, when we proclaim Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords, we ought to wonder, why do we hear the story of his crucifixion? We could have heard the story of the triumphal entry, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem like a king, and people spread their garments and their branches of palm along his way. We could have heard the narrative of his resurrection, of his victorious rising from the grave on Easter. We could have heard plenty of other stories. Why did we hear this one? If nothing else, the story of Christ the King reminds us of the utter strangeness of the Christian faith, that there was an ancient Near Eastern Jew who was tortured and executed by the state in the company of criminals, entirely dehumanized, and that this same person is the ruler of the universe and above all other earthly rulers, past, present, and future. Both of these things are true at the same time, according to the Christian faith. We have to admit that on its face, this is totally bizarre. Crucifixion and royalty do not go together. You cannot imagine a place that is more wretched, inhuman, and powerless than a Roman cross. And kings as we know them would never die on one. If Christ is king, he is not like any other king that we know. He reigns not from a throne, but from a cross. Sometimes sacred imagery can do for us what words cannot. Uh, the central image of this church, for example, is the great rood. Um, rood is an old English word for cross, and it depicts the crucified Jesus alongside the ever-blessed Virgin Mary on his left and John, the beloved disciple, on his right. It doesn't show the two criminals in his midst who are mentioned in today's gospel, but nevertheless, it points us toward the agony of the crucifixion. Jesus' face is, is cast down, turned away from us in a scene of sorrow and abjection. And like Luke's gospel scene, on the top of the cross, there is an inscription, which is uh, a shorthand for Jesus Nazarenus Rex Judeorum. Uh, that's Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. This is the principal crucifix of our church, but it's not the only one. The other one is, of course, beyond it, up on the reredos, on the high altar. And I can't see it from where I am, and perhaps some of you can't either, but uh, if you haven't seen it or have never really gotten a close look of it, I invite you at some point to go up to, to the high altar and have a look at this crucifix. Because this crucifix shows a very different Christ on the cross, a Christ who is victorious, 
who wears not a crown of thorns, but a royal crown, the robes of a king, and his piercing eyes are looking straight ahead into yours. Christ the victor, Christ the king. These are two very different images of Jesus in our church, and yet they are the same. The agony of Christ's crucifixion, the great rood, is a window through which we may perceive the deeper dimension of the Christ who is king as we see on the high altar. The king of the Jews is also the king of kings and lord of lords. The feast of Christ the king is the church's friendly reminder that if Jesus is lord, then Caesar is not. If we really believe that Christ is king and lord of heaven and earth, then that should affect how we think about all earthly rulers. It should mean, at the very least, first and foremost, that we should not imagine them to be our saviors. Precisely the opposite. And this is why the Feast of Christ the King is so very important, because pretty much in all times and in all places, Christians have fallen into a trap, which is placing their ultimate hope and their trust in elected rulers, excuse me, in rulers in general. But, of course, in our time, we have elected ones, not monarchs. The feast is less than 100 years old, instituted in 1925 by Pope Pius XI in response to the wave of nationalism and fascism sweeping throughout Europe after the First World War. All throughout the continent, particularly in Germany, Christians were retreating into their nativist camps, and hatred of minorities was being fueled by, in many cases, democratically elected demagogues. Does that sound familiar? This was a failure of belief, the belief that Jesus is Lord. Because if Jesus is Lord, then the Fuhrer is not. If the German Christians had believed that, history would have turned out much differently. The Feast of Christ the King is the response to authoritarian rulers who imagine themselves to be sovereign in a way that only Jesus can be. It reminds us of where we are to place our hope and our trust, and also the consequences of throwing in our lot with Caesar. This is as timely a message for us now as it was a hundred years ago. <laughs> In the U.S., of course, we don't have a monarch. But based on the ever-expanding power of the executive branch of government over at least the past few decades, I'm starting to think that we want one. We seem to want our presidents to act like kings, just so long as they are the president we happen to want. The sheer level at which presidential politics devours this country's attention is appalling. If Jesus is Lord, then the president is not. But from the way that Christians in America speak and act, you'd never know it. The fact is that American Christianity 
has no idea what it would mean to imagine Christ as king. We're too caught up in the nightmare of partisanship and the cruelty and brutality of the politics of our day. There's a lot of talk about the so-called partisan divide. But what we have to realize is that Christians on both sides of it are in lockstep with each other in the most basic way. And that is the belief that our elected officials can save us. They have very strong differences about who those people should be. But nevertheless, both sides act as though someone other than Jesus is Lord. Recall the language of today's opening collect, heard right at the beginning of the Mass, which states that the people of the earth are divided and enslaved by sin. That's what American Christianity feels like to me, divided and enslaved by sin. What we need is also in the collect, that is, to be freed and brought together under Christ's most gracious rule. Such freedom will not come by party control, nor through the occupant of the White House, whomever they may be. Freedom comes by submitting to the authority of Christ, who commands us to love our neighbors as ourselves, and to love our enemies, and to pray for our persecutors. Jesus gives us a peace which the world cannot give. He did not come to change the world. He came to save it. The world can only enforce peace through violence. But the peace of Christ is not like the peacekeeping of the world. The peace of Christ makes wars to cease, breaks the bow, shatters the spear, and burns the shields with fire. On the cross... Christ undoes the power of violence and death, taking them into himself and destroying them once and for all. No earthly king could ever do that. Only the Son of God. Only the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If Jesus is Lord, then Caesar is not. May God grant us the grace to receive his peace and to accept his reign. For in the words of St. Paul to the Philippians, and recently paraphrased by Kanye West, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. May God bring us together under his most gracious rule. Amen.